I, uh, I brought my really big mug and told Danielle to fill it up for me. She did not. Um, anyway, we are, uh, we are going through a sermon series called Coffee Cup Verses. And the idea is that <clears throat> a couple weeks ago, we were talking about the importance of the Bible, that we should want to read the Word, that it's, it's super important for us to love the Word. And so we launched into this little short sermon series called Coffee Cup Verses, and it's basically just a study on hermeneutics or the, the, learning how to interpret the Bible. And so we've taken four coffee cup verses, usually kind of thought of uh, to mean one certain thing, and we love that verse, and so we put it in our t-shirts and our coffee cups. Uh, but in the context, generally, it means something different. And so uh, what we're doing today is learning how to read verses in context. Uh, as a matter of fact, the verse that we're looking at today, I actually have it on a coffee cup from David, um, Philippians 4.13, for I can do all things, so I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength, NIV, ESV, depending on which version you're reading. But uh, here it is, proof positive, it happens. People take these verses and they put it on their coffee cups. Um, and so anyway, that's what we're going to be doing, continuing doing today. Uh, as Jordan said, if you didn't hear at the very beginning, we had a professional come by this week and mix our sound. And uh, we know that it's a little bit hot today. It's actually probably the, when I say hot, I mean loud. And so like this is the first time it's ever been this loud. I love it. You probably might not, but maybe you do. Uh, but I, I guarantee you that if you feel like it's too loud, what we found out is if you move back a couple rows, it's, it's less loud than where you were a couple rows ahead. And so you can just move back a couple rows and then, but if you're at the very back, there's no more where to go. It's just besides the lobby. But uh, anyway, uh, we're, we're, we're figuring it out. We're wanting to try it out. Um, and, you know, if you want to give us some feedback that's, that's nice and, and framed in a nice manner, we'll take that, uh, but not mean. Uh, but anyway, uh, we know that it might be a little hot. We're, we're working on it. So anyway, um, last week, whenever we were opened up, we looked at Jeremiah 29, 11, uh, and then this week we're looking at Philippians 4.13, and then we've got two more, and I'm not going to tell you what they are. They're going to be a surprise every week. Uh, but the verse that, that we're commonly, that's commonly taken out of context, I can do all things through him or through Christ who strengthens me. This, this text uh, is commonly used by athletes. You can see it on their black. You know, they write it in. I can do all things like God's going to give me a touchdown today or whatever. Uh, kind of claiming that Jesus, whatever that next task is in front of them, that they can do it because of Christ. And in context, um, it's not about that usually. It's actually about, in context, that one verse I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's actually about something different. It's not about that you can do everything that you want. It's actually about learning how to be content. Uh, and actually in its larger context, it's about giving. It's about being a generous giver. So it, it's generally ripped out of context. Uh, and so what we're going to do today in Philippians chapter 4, it started at verse 10, and we're going to go through verse 20. And we're going to get the full context. So I'm going to pray. And then if you have a Bible, you can open up Philippians 4. And that's where we'll be today. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Uh, thank you that <clears throat> you've given us, because of the Holy Spirit, the ability to read your word and understand your word, um, love your word, and want to apply it to our lives. Want to uh, see Christ in the text, understand what he's done for us. And because of that, <clears throat> be overjoyed by the gospel and want to apply how we can live for you uh, and have more faith in you. So we pray that you would come now and help us over this next um, few minutes to, to do that. We love you, Lord, and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, 
I think that you know this, but the end goal of every sermon that I preach or that Joe preaches or that any preacher should preach, the end goal for us, like whenever we preach it, so when I say us, after I preach it, I kind of put myself down here in the seat with you and I'm listening with you, right? So the end goal for all of us whenever we preach is that whenever words come to you, what we want you to do is not modify behavior. Instead, what we want you to do is believe, The end goal for sermons is faith. So texts should drive you to have more faith in God. Specifically, what Christ has done for us on the cross. The end goal is not for you just to hear today when we say, oh, if the context is about uh, being a generous giver, well, then I just need to give more. That's not really the goal. That might happen, but only will it be sustained if you have more faith in Jesus. Faith And what he's done for you, and specifically, obviously, growing in your amazing love for what he's done for you. So uh, whenever we're preaching on generosity or whenever we're preaching anytime on any week, the goal is that we would want you to have more faith. Now, in this particular sermon, when when we're looking at Philippians chapter 4, you could say, well, the end goal today is that uh, the pastor just wants me to give more money. That's what he preached the sermon on is he wants me to give more money. That's not really what I want, right? That's not what I want. I want you to have more faith in God. I want you to exercise that faith in, in God. I want you to trust Christ and I want you to believe in the gospel. So a mistake would say if on a, on a, on a giving Sunday sermon is that he just wants more money. And that's not true. That's not true at all. Um, one is because God wants your heart, as I've been talking about, not your money. 2 Corinthians 9, 7, each one must give as, as, as he has made his mind up, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So he wants you to give cheerfully. In other words, when he has your heart, then whenever you, ha- I'm sorry, whenever God has your heart, you give as your heart desires. And so that's the first thing. The second thing is that uh, God gave you your money in the first place. So everything that you already have has come from his hand. And so, um, we don't believe in a God that's deistic and kind of far off, but he's actively, providentially moving and working in all of his creation. So everything we have already actually came from his hand. So a sermon on giving um, isn't like God really is poor without you. Um, <laughs> as a matter of fact, he gave you everything you have, right? So it's not that he needs your money. And that which brings me to my last one is God doesn't need our money. He's God. Uh, in Acts chapter 17, it says, The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, parentheses from us, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. So he gives us everything we need. We don't give anything to him that he's just so desperate for. And so when we look at, a, a, in context, a, a sermon on, on giving, um, Remember, the goal is not afterwards that you would say, well, I guess I should give more. Instead, you should say, I want to trust Christ more. I want to thank him for what he's done in the gospel more. I want to believe in God more. And I don't mean believe like that he exists, right? That's not what I mean. I mean, trust him. I want to trust him more. Um, So if you have a Bible looking at Philippians chapter 4, Verse 10, I'm going to read the whole text. If you want to stand with me, that's great. Uh, Whenever we read the text here, we stand. If you can't, that's fine. If you're not able. uh, And afterwards, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord. And you'll reply by saying, thanks be to God. Not to me, but to him. You're thanking him that he's given you his word. And um, let that, when you say, thanks be to God, 
be within your mind and heart where you're saying, God, the things that you teach me, I want to say yes to. Help me trust you more. Verse 10, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and, and hunger and abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you, Philippians, yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered in partnership with me in giving and receiving except for you. Even at Thessalonica, you sent me help. Um, you, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied. I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. It's the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You have a seat. So in context, in the book of Philippians, Paul is in a Roman jail. This is one of his prison epistles. He's in jail. And as he's there, a guy named Epaphroditus had brought him a gift it never specifically says. We just know that he brought him a gift. Maybe it was money. Could have been food. Could have been clothes. Well, it was a gift, nevertheless. And it was brought to him by uh, Epaphroditus in Philippi. And Paul, as he writes this entire book, is thanking them for the gift that he gave. And so when we get to chapter t- 4 and verse 10, he's kind of closing out his last thoughts. And you can see here that he's, he's saying, your gift was great, and I appreciate your gift. And then as he's talking about it, he thinks this is a great teaching time for them to learn that you don't even have to have stuff. Like, you can be content in any situation. If they never brought the gift, Christ would have taken care of me, and I would actually be totally happy being poor, still in jail without the gift. So he just takes that as a teaching opportunity. That's where he, when we get to 12 and 13, he talks about contentment. And then he puts it back on him and saying, you were great in doing that. I'm so glad that you did it. The gift that you gave uh, the best thing about the gift is not just that it helped me, but that you actually have fruit growing in your life so that you're becoming more sanctified. And then he keeps going and says that uh, it was a, a, an acceptable offering and the Lord's going to take care of you now. So you can, you can kind of get the general gist of what he's saying uh, in, in chapter six. Uh, I'm sorry, chapter four, verses 10 through 20. But anyway, as we're doing that, as we're going to go through it, what I want to do here is... Um, I want to show you six different truths that are standing out on the text for us that help us, as we look at it, um, help us understand what it means to be a God-glorifying giver. And so in context, we'll get to verse 13 when we get to it, um, but there's six truths here about what it means to be a God-glorifying, generous giver. Um, So anyway, let's look at them. Before we get started, let me read to us a quote from John Piper in the book called Don't Waste Your Life. And he talks about the importance of helping us understand generosity and how important it is. This issue is pervasive because it is crucial for the witness of the church. If we want to make people glad in God, our lives must look and be that God, not possessions, is our joy. Our lives must look as if we use our possessions to make people glad in God, especially the most needy. And so since God 
is in charge of everything and all the things that we have came from him. He gives us those things if we're believers. He gives us those things for an express purpose so that we would take those things and show the world that not those things, but the one that gave them to us bring our highest joy. And so we, we take these things that we have in order to bless others so that more people will come to know Christ. And so um, what we're gonna see here today is what it means to be uh, someone who's just <clears throat> been moved by this grace and now we wanna be generous. So look at verse 10. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. So here we have, have the Philippians. They knew about Paul's need and they, they have a re- revived concern for him. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. But what we see here is that even though they're not the richest people in the world, they're, they're actually pretty poor. But, but, but what we see is they know that they have a, Paul has a need and they have an, because they're already Uh, Because of what Christ has done for them, made into these generous people, whenever they hear about concerns, they want to give. As soon as they hear about a concern, they want to give. And so the first thing that we can see here is uh, a truth about being a generous person is that whenever, you can go and put up number one, whenever they hear about a concern, they have already a pre-developed concern and passion for other people's struggles, and you want to meet those needs. You want to do something. You want to help out people. So uh, the first thing is that you develop a concern and passion for other people's struggles, even at your own expense. Even at your own expense. That's the first thing that we can see in regard to being a generous giver is, I would say, even especially at your own expense. Uh, You have a mindset uh, away from yourself towards other people of helping them no matter what the cost is. Because you realize, if I have to use a lot of my money, if I have to use a lot of my resources to take care of somebody, it's okay because these resources have brought somebody um, out of poverty or helped them in, the, in what's going on. And it's fine for me because I don't have to have these things anyway. Paul will get to that in a second. Uh, you'll be like the people in Hebrews, the Christians in Hebrews, it says, for you had compassion on those in prison and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your own property since you yourselves knew that you had a better possession and an abiding one in heaven. And so stuff to you isn't important as people. And so you develop this major concern to help people through their struggles, and especially at your own expense. It's not, it's not a thing to you that you have to go without so that other people can be helped. Um, here we, we see that uh, they revived their opportunity to be able to help. They had no opportunity at once, but whenever they heard about Paul being in, in need, the first thing that they wanted to do is help him out. When you go into verse 11, you can see more things that happens. This is where we get into our our coffee cup verse. This is where we get to verse 13. Verse 11, not that I'm speaking of being in need for I've learned in whatever situation to be content. So especially in 11 through 13, when we get to 13, the, the, the context is being content. Being content with whether I'm poor, being content with either I'm rich. Whichever one that God has, Paul's gonna say, I've been both. I'm all right. This is what he says. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In every... In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger. There's a secret of having too much, and there's a secret of not having enough. Abundance and need. I can do all things, as in whether I'm poor or rich, I can do either one of those, and I can learn how to be content in either one of those through Christ who strengthens me. 
So it has nothing to do with scoring the touchdown, right? On Black and Blue Football Friday, I can claim Philippians 4.13 all I want, but I'm not going to score touchdowns likely, and I'm going to be super sore the next day. No matter how much I try to claim this verse, that's not what it means. That's not what it means. Um, Instead, it means this. Whenever we look at all of it in context, the second truth about being a generous giver is this. Number two, you'll give more to others when you learn contentment in any situation. Now, any is important there. Number two, you can go ahead and put up number two. Is it up there? Nope, boom. You'll learn, you'll give more to others when you learn contentment in any situation. So when I say any, I mean poverty or wealth. You'll give more to others when you learn how to be content, not just in your wealth, but in your poverty. You'll give more even in your poverty, not just your wealth. So uh, when we look at this in context, the ESV Reformation Study Bible says, Paul's contentment was utterly reliant, not on himself and his abilities to suppress emotions, but instead on Christ, who, who held Paul fast and sustained him in all situations. D.A. Carson, uh, explaining this more, says, The secret to contentment is not normally learned in posh circumstances or in deprived circumstances, but instead exposure to both. The fact is that Paul is content in both circumstances Because his contentment is utterly independent of his circumstances. His contentment is focused on all that he enjoys of Christ Jesus. So I'm happy, not because I'm rich. I'm happy, not because I'm poor, is what Paul's saying. I'm happy because I have Christ. And that's all I need. That's all I need. And now, because I have Christ in my wealth or in my poverty, he takes my heart and transforms it to be so enamored with him that in whichever one I am, Whichever, whatever I have, I'm going to give. I'm going to be a giving person. I'm going to learn how to be content whether I'm rich or whether I'm poor. So what does it mean then? Contentment in abundance versus contentment in lack. Both involve being not controlled by money. So the key here is, and maybe it's more difficult, I think, to learning how to be content in lack. You know, whenever everybody else has something and you don't, you're like, oh, I really wish I had that. I need to be content. I think that's difficult. And whenever you have whatever you want, no, I can be content with when I have all this stuff. But Paul is trying to, to point both of those people to learn how to be content. Both involved not being controlled by money and both of all storing up treasures in heaven rather than on earth. Being content in abundance then should cause you to want to be more generous, not for your glory, or others to think how awesome you are, but you do it for God's glory, knowing that your Father in heaven sees what you're doing and he's pleased with you. So whenever you have abundance, being content in abundance is saying, all this stuff is not for me. Instead, it's for God, and I want to give it for his glory and not for my own. So if anybody sees this, that's not why I'm doing it. Being contentment and lack is a little bit different. It's almost like fasting. It's where you say, yes, There's a part of me that does want food. There's a part of me that does want money or things. But I'm going to ignore that because I really want God more. And so since I want God more, you're going to be my portion, God, rather than these things. I'm going to be content and thoroughly satisfied with Jesus. And I'm going to to be uh, content here in my lack. So uh, I think that most of us actually live in the abundance category you may be a newlywed or a college student and think I, I'm not in the abundance category. But likely, since we're in North America in the 21st century, we all are in the abundance category when we look at the rest of the world. And so uh, I'm going to read a verse. And what I want you to do here is I want everybody, as you hear this verse, 
to automatically transfer yourself to the abundance category. Everybody here, don't listen to this in the lack category. Listen to it in the abundance category. 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty or to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasures for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. I think this is a good challenge for us all. This is a good challenge for us all because every single one in this room is really in the abundance. Every one of us are going to eat today. Um, Every single one of us, really, when we look at the rest of the world, are in the abundance category. And so we want to then set our hopes not on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides all of us. So contentment uh, was modeled to us by Christ. He was not somebody who had riches, but, but poverty. This is what it said of him in Luke 9. And Jesus said, uh, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Jesus owned very little, and he gave more than anybody. So whatever situation you're in, if you think that you just have nothing, you still can give. Jesus was the poorest probably ever. He was one of the poorest people to ever live on earth. Now, he had abundant riches in heaven, but when he was here, he owned nothing, and he gave everything. And so we can pattern our lives after the same way. So when we see this, the second truth is this, is that you'll give more to others when you learn contentment in any situation. If you learn contentment and your lack, you'll actually give more. Statistics show, actually, that people that don't have much money give higher percentages than people that do. They just show that. But if you also learn contentment in your abundance, you'll learn to give too. Now, again, let me make sure I'm being clear. The goal of this sermon is not that you walk away saying, well, I just need to give more. The goal of this sermon is that you trust Jesus more, that you can't get over the fact that he gave his own life for you on the cross and you love him so much that you want to live a life that glorifies him. And that can be done through generosity. That can be done through generous giving. If you keep reading verse 13, I want to read it again. I can do all things through him who strengthens me, through him. It's, it's important that we see the through him or through Christ. So the third truth of being a generous giver is this. You can fulfill your God-given ministry in Christ. It is in Christ, as John Calvin says when he looks at this verse. It is in Christ, not by my own power, for it is Christ that supplies me with strength. This is what Paul says in Colossians 1, struggling with all his energy. And so you and I have been given different God-given ministries. Uh, every single one of us has been given a ministry the ministry of reconciliation. And the way that we fulfill it in our lives is gonna look different for every single one of us, but nevertheless, all of us have it. And so the way that we want to do it, we can fulfill it. I promise you, you can do it. It may feel like today you can't, this week you stink, last month was really bad, but nevertheless, you can, right? Every single one of you can fulfill this God-given ministry that you've been given in Christ, in Christ. And so, um, Paul is everything. I can do all things that, who, that God's called me to do. It's constrained by context, and it's namely in Christ. So we don't struggle to do our ministries in our own, in our own strength. Instead, everything, we're supposed, everything that God's called us to do is to be done in him. 
Again, that's why the, the, the point of the sermon is faith. The point of the sermon is faith. Because we want to trust him more and therefore we can fulfill our God-given ministries. And so uh, I can do all things means this. If I have to sit as Paul is doing in a filthy prison, then I'm going to be content and I'm going to do it through Christ. If I have to preach with unction to people in this Philippian jail, even though they're preaching with their own, as it says in Philippians 1, for their own gain, I'm going to be content and I'm going to do it through Christ. If I don't have many resources and he's calling me to help out this family or give to this particular people, I'm going to do it and I can do it through Christ. So whatever it is that God's calling you to do right now today or in the next five years or for the rest of your life, because there's, there's little goals that you're making and big goals that you're making. All of it can be done, but don't do it in, on your own strength. Instead, be content with where you are, be content with what he's calling you to and rely on Christ only and do it through him. Do it through him. Now, that's in context of Philippians 4.13, but uh, as I said, verses 11 through 12, 12 and 13 are really about being content, but the bigger picture of 10 through 20 is about generous giving because that's what Paul's wrapping up the chapter with. So as we keep going, we'll keep seeing <clears throat> this emphasis on, on sacrificial giving. Verse 14 uh, through 18, you can see, yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians, you yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. So we have this, Paul saying, they could have helped, but the only people that did help were you, and you're not even that well off. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. So we see here that it wasn't just a one-time deal for them. They actually had hearts that want to not just help once, but ongoing. So they had this pattern of generosity that Paul's speaking of. And then he says, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I received full payment uh, and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gift you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. So Epaphroditus had brought this. And you can see here that once and again, they did it. They made, they did it to the point of, as it says in verse 18, of sacrifice. And so the sixth truth of being a generous giver is this. You'll often seek to give sacrificially, not just randomly from your excess. We all kind of have excess. And a lot of times uh, it's, it's kind of the, uh, I call it kind of the goodwill, the goodwill give. You know what I mean? Like, so I've got all this stuff that I don't want. And so I'm feeling really generous here today. And God's going to be super pleased that I'm going to give all the stuff that I don't want to people. And look at all the stuff that I gave out. I can even, if I get the little ticket from Goodwill and I write it off, man, it really added up to a lot and I can put it on my tax write-off. I really gave a lot today. Like that's not, that's not we're not talking about the Goodwill give, right? Um, instead, it's not just randomly from my access of the st excess that I, stuff that I don't want. Instead, uh, once and again, you entered me, entered into giving with me. And when you did it, you did it in a sacrificial manner, a sacrifice acceptable. And so, a, uh, a trait of our truth of being a generous giver is that you often seek to give sacrificially. You don't often seek to give the goodwill give. You often seek to give sacrificially. Like when I give this, I will physically do without. And I'm okay with that. That's fine with me. I want to. Lord has brought me to a place to where I am good with doing without. 
once and again. Now, I'm not just going to do it once. I'm not just going to be random about it. Instead, like the, like the Philippians, I'm going to do it once and again. So what we see here is that uh, they've understood the principle that, that Christ talked about in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6, where it's 6, 19 through 21. Don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth or rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So they want to give continually. They've found themselves in a pattern of wanting to give sacrificially, not randomly. Maybe it's even planned. You might not be a planner, but all of a sudden you find yourself entering into your phone, like every Monday, challenge me, Siri, to, to give sacrificially today. Like I wanna do it, not just randomly, but, but plan sacrificial giving. Um, one quote from me, a couple quotes from me that help us understand uh, this idea of giving sacrificially. A.W. Tozer says, as base a thing as money often is, it can be transmuted into everlasting treasure. It can be converted into food for the hungry and clothing for the poor. It can keep a missionary actively winning lost to the light of the gospel, like Paul was, um, and thus transmute itself into heavenly values. Any temporal possession can be turned into everlasting wealth. Whatever is given to Christ is immediately touched with immortality. You can't make bread live forever in heaven, but he's saying, but you can take bread to give to someone. And when you give that to someone that are hungry, they want to know why you're doing that. And you share the gospel with them. And now they have trusted in Christ because you share the gospel. Uh, John Piper quotes this guy named Robert Murray McShane uh, in the book, Don't Waste Your Life. And he's talking, uh, this, this pastor, he's a Scottish pastor. He died at the age of 29. He's talking to people who are rich challenging them to really hurry up and live as fast as they can when they're rich because this is your only shot. And obviously, it's tongue-in-cheek, but it's quite convicting. He says, I'm concerned for the poor, but more for you who are rich. I know not what Christ will say to you in the great day. I fear there are many hearing me who may know well that they are not Christians because they don't love to give. To give largely and liberally, not grudging at all, requires a new heart. And an old heart would rather part with its lifeblood than with its money. Oh, my friends, enjoy your money then. Make the most of it. Give none of it away quickly. Uh, Enjoy it quickly, for I tell you, you will be beggars throughout eternity. So, It doesn't mean that if you never give money that you're not a believer, right? But what it does mean is if we've been given a new heart, we should have a pattern of wanting to be like Christ. Christ gave the ultimate sacrifice of his own life. And so since everything we have is from God, then our pattern and our heart and our our ongoing movement should be like Christ's, that we don't hold on to treasures because we think they're great, but instead we want to use them to glorify God. We want to instead... We don't want to hold on to everything. We want to use it largely and liberally with a, not a begrudging heart because the Lord has given us a new heart. So that's the fourth thing that we see is, uh, if we put up, yeah, put up number four. Number four, there it is. You'll often seek to give sacrificially, not just randomly from your excess. All right. The fifth one is in verse 17. I want, to, I want you to notice this, the language that he uses. This is pretty interesting. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. Now, Paul's just told us, I don't need your gift. He didn't say it that way, right? It, it, that rude to the Philippians. 
But he did teach them in 11 through 13. Had you not given me the gift, I've already learned the secret of contentment and lack. So if you had never given me your gift, I would be totally fine because I have Christ. So when you brought the gift, I was overjoyed that you gave me that. I can't believe that you brought this gift. I really wanted it. I really enjoyed that you brought it to me. I used it while I'm here. I'm thankful that you brought it, etc. But there's something actually more important to me than the gift. Because I've already learned the, the secret of lack. The best thing is when you gave it to me, what happened in your heart after that? What happened in your heart after that brings me exceeding joy. The gift was nice. But... Your heart bore fruit. You grew in sanctification. And man, that really brought me joy, is what he's saying. So the, the fifth truth of being a generous giver, you can go ahead and put it up. Generosity, whenever you practice generosity, you have a tangible evidence of your sanctification. You have tangible evidence of your sanctification. Sometimes because sanctification is so progressive, so slowly progressive, you're wondering, like, am I actually growing? <laughs> you know, like, am I really becoming more Christ-like? Sometimes it's hard to see because it's happening over your entire lifetime. I've, you've heard, probably heard tons of people say this, but like, watch your child grow. Just watch them. You can't, right? You, it's impossible. But you know that if you put a little line on the wall and six months later you put another line on the wall, you can see, oh, you've grown. And sanctification can feel that same way. You can't necessarily easily see your sanctification happening. But you know, because the Lord promised it in Philippians 1.6, that you're growing. Or uh, 1 Thessalonians 5.22-23, he will surely do it. You know it's going to happen. Well, when you practice generosity, you actually have tangible evidence of your sanctification. It's something that can be seen. Um, but I seek the fruit, is what, how Paul says it. Or fruit to increase to your credit. Or the fruit that increases to your account. Here we have, uh, we have the promise here that whenever we practice generosity, that fruit actually increases to our credit. Now, we don't do it just because we need fruit to increase to our credit. We do it because we love Jesus. But nevertheless, I think it's very encouraging, very encouraging to know <clears throat> that when we're practicing generosity, there's tangible evidence of our sanctification. So, Whenever you give something to someone to help them in their poverty or to help them through a situation or uh, whenever you do it, you also tell them about Christ. They're blessed by it, right? They actually take that gift and it changes their situation. But what Paul is saying is that's good, but they can even point back to you. Hey, look at your heart now. You've grown. You've become more sanctified and that should be super encouraging to you. Um, Martin Luther says, I've held many things in my hands and I've lost them all. But whatever I have placed in God's hands, that I still possess. That I still possess. So uh, whenever we give things to God to, to use for his glory, whatever it is, uh, he then thereby helps us grow and we, we become more sanctified. So generosity is a tangible evidence of your sanctification. The last thing that happens is this. Now, remember, we're talking about the Philippians who didn't have much money. Uh, they didn't have a whole lot of stuff. And what they did have, they, they slapped together and they gave it to Epaphroditus and they said, take this to Paul. And so they were even less well off after they sent that gift to Paul. And Paul's going to write back and say, you could have used that stuff. However, the things that you really need, God knows, and he's gonna take care of you. Look how, look how he finishes this in verse 19. And my God 
It's easy for us to personalize this and think about our own situation, but let's, let's think about the Philippians first in context who were already poor and already given out of, out of their poverty, poverty to uh, Paul. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. He's writing this to the Philippians. And so I think the last truth of generosity is this. You can go ahead and put up number six. Uh, whenever you practice generosity, you begin to realize or you realize that what we need versus what we want are very different. And the Philippians started learning that even more. They, there's a big difference between what we need and what we want. And I'm guilty of living in the what I want section on that of the dichotomy rather than the what I need. But Paul's telling me that the more I give, the more Christ takes my mind and shapes it that I'll actually live over in the what I need dichotomy side rather than what I want. You grow more and more aware of what you need versus what you want. So since we're all believers in Christ, um, most of us, and I think that we could all say, I would rather live in the what I, what I need versus the what I want. Um, the way, one of the ways that you can do that is to practice generosity more. The more that you give your things away that you have for the glory of God, for the good of others, for the point of, of purpose of being able to tell them about Jesus, you're going to finally learn how to uh, take the things that, that you need and live in that and be happy with that and not just live in excess of the things that you want. I think that's an amazing, amazing truth. God supplies all the needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. He supplies all, of it, all the things that we need after we've been generous. After we've been generous is when we learn this. We know God will supply all our needs in Christ Jesus. So we are now free to be the kind of giver that glorifies God. We are, um, when we freely give to all others in need because we know that God's giving the supply, then we start living like the poor widow willing to trust God with everything she had. I'm gonna read it to you as I close. Mark chapter 12, 41 through 46. Jesus sat down the opposite of the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many people put large sums and a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins which make a penny, a very small amount of money. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they have contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had to live on. Now, we can just ask the question. Jesus took note of this and pointed it out intentionally to the disciples, so much so that it made it into Holy Scripture. Do we believe that when she gave everything that she had to live on into the box, that she went home and died of hunger? I don't think so. I think that Jesus took care of every need that she had. Somebody came by daily or weekly and, or who knows what and kept giving her the things that she needed in order to take care of herself and her family. That's what, now, if it doesn't happen, then that's okay. But likely that is what happened. My point is this, that whenever we begin to give 
um, more and more and more. Christ knows what we need, and we have a mindset that switches away from what I want over to what I need. And we have this promise that he will supply what we need according to his riches in Christ Jesus. Now, here's the good news of all of this. When we think about all these things, you can hear this and you can say, oh my goodness, I have got, <laughs> I've got so much more room to grow. Oh, I heard the sermon on giving and it was just so hard to take in because man, I am not generous. I live in abundance and I operate in what I want constantly. Here's the good news, okay? I wanna make sure we end with the good news, which is Christ has done every single thing that we need already in the gospel. So whenever you fail at this, whenever I fail at this, and it's all the time, the good news is that Christ has done this for us in the gospel and he has forgiven of us given of us of all of our um, deep-rooted love for money. And instead, since that's the case, whenever God looks at us, he sees Christ and he sees righteousness. As a matter of fact, he has, he has counted us as righteous. So when we hear these things like, we need to develop a concern and passion for people, that's what Christ did for you. He had the deepest concern for the people that he had created, that he came down here and died for us. And so since Christ has done this for us, we can do this. And we'll learn to give to others. This is exactly what he did. He gave his own life for us on the cross. Um, that we need to be sacrificial givers, not just out of our excess. Well, this is the definition of the cross. That Christ sacrificed himself for us on the cross. And that we will now, one day we'll receive rewards in heaven. That he, he supplies all of our needs and we'll get rewards in heaven. Well, um, because of Christ, we have received all the riches of heaven, namely that you've been declared righteous and holy before God. All of your sin is taken care of and you've been given a new heart. All the things that we've talked about has already been done for you by Christ in the gospel. The realization of what you need versus what you want. Christ, because of the gospel, has displayed to us that he is all we need. We don't need anything else but him. And that we can actually, because of our new heart, be content with only having Christ. This is the point that Paul makes in Philippians chapter three. Like I had all these things of the world that everybody thinks is great. Da, 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 to put up my huge list. I count all that as scubala for Christ. Now that I have Christ, that's all that matters. The whole uh, debits and credits have been switched. And all those things that I thought were great were actually over here on the scubala list. And all I need is Jesus. That's all I need. And so because of Christ in the gospel, he changes us. And so all these things that you heard that you maybe have felt super convicted by or super challenged by, you're like, I'll never do this. Christ has, has done this for us in the gospel. Therefore, you can. You can live all of this out. So let's pray, and then we'll go into the Lord's Supper where we celebrate this amazing, uh, this amazing gift that Christ has done for us and dying for us on the cross. And now he has freed us up to be generous people. Let's pray. Lord, we're so thankful for the cross. We're so thankful for uh, amazing texts like this that teach us what it means to be content in every situation, but in the larger context, teach us that the greatest, most generous giver ever is you. And that since you're our Lord and Savior, that we can also be generous givers. Lord, I pray that as we think on the good news of the gospel more and more. We, be, we believe more, we trust you more, and as we contemplate more the sacrifice that you made on the cross for our sin, 
that it grows our faith and it grows our love for you. And now all we want to do, uh, patterned after you, is be a generous giver. We want to give as much as we can for your glory. Help us, Lord, learn the difference between uh, being in uh, the things that we want versus the things that we need. In my own life, um, it is an ongoing battle to continually figure that out. It's an ongoing battle to not be selfish. And so help me, Lord. Help us all. And Lord, we pray more than anything that you would, as we are being generous, as we are being sacrificial, that we would see the fruit of that, the credit that comes to our account, as it says, and that we would actually see people coming to know Christ and before our eyes because of generosity, that we would see our heart growing in sanctification, the things that we used to think were so awesome, the earthly possessions, that we're not so enamored by them anymore, but we find our heart being more enamored um, of Jesus. So Lord, we, uh, we do pray that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Namely, be generous, content givers for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. amen. We're going to our time of the Lord's Supper here.